Welcome to another episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, July 13th. If you were on vacation last week, welcome back to one heck of a primary day. We'll talk about some of the races to watch Tuesday, from House districts where the next member of Congress will be decided, to Senate contests that will play major roles in the fight for the majority. After that, we'll break down a couple of campaign ads on the airwaves in the final week of the big Republican Senate runoff in Alabama. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down-Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerose Gem. Jero's gem, my number of the week, is 1988. That was the last year Democrats won U.S. Senate elections in both Maine and Texas, two of the three states holding primaries on Tuesday. In Maine, Democrat George Mitchell, the former majority leader, was reelected in 1988 and retired in 1994 and was succeeded by Republican Olympia Snow, who served until 2013. She was succeeded by Angus King, an independent who caucuses with the Democratic Party, but technically he is not a party member. Maine's other Senate seat was held by Republican Bill Cohen from 1979 to 1997, and since then by Republican Susan Collins, who is up for re-election in November. Collins is likely to face Democratic State House Speaker Sarah Gideon, who gives Democrats their best chance since 1988 of winning a Senate seat in Maine. In Texas, the last Democratic winner in a Senate race was Lloyd Benson, who in 1988 was re-elected at the same time he was on the national Democratic ticket that lost Texas and the presidential election. Every Senate election since then has gone to the Republicans, though Texas has become more competitive. Case in point, Ted Cruz's narrow win over Beto O'Rourke in 2018. Air Force veteran M.J. Hagar and State Senator Royce West this year are seeking the Democratic nomination in a runoff Tuesday to oppose Republican Senator John Cornyn. So, 1988, the last year Democrats won Senate elections in Maine and Texas. That's your Jero's Gem of the Week. All right, up next, we'll break down all the races to watch Tuesday. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Only one state, Maine, has a primary scheduled for Tuesday, but Alabama and Texas are holding primary runoffs to decide several nominations. Some are in safe seats and will essentially decide the district's newest House members, while others are in competitive seats and are setting up showdowns for the fall. Greg, you wrote about all of it in a pair of stories out today. There are plenty of storylines, but let's start in the Senate. Three competitive Senate races will officially kick off after the results come in. Yeah, that's right. I think the marquee race is that Alabama U.S. Senate Republican runoff. It was supposed to be held in late March, except the coronavirus led to its delay until, you know, this Tuesday, July the 14th. And there you have um, Jeff Sessions, the longtime former senator and President Trump's first attorney general up against Tommy Tuberville, uh, former Auburn University football coach who has the backing of President Trump. Our listeners certainly remember when uh, Sessions was attorney general and antagonized Trump when Sessions recused himself from the investigation into Russian meddling of the 2016 presidential election. And Trump's endorsement of Tuberville, Kyle, is a big reason why Sessions is the underdog going into this runoff. Yeah, that's right. And we'll be talking a little bit more of that later when we uh, look at a couple of campaign ads running there. Um, And then, of course, 
it looks like Sarah Gideon, as you, as you noted earlier, um, is going to be the Democratic nominee against Susan Collins in Maine. Um, and she's waiting on, I think about four and a half million dollars has been sort of crowdsourced, fundraised uh, for the eventual nominee. Um, so that big chunk of money is going to come uh, after she likely wins her primary. And then uh, in Texas, you noted the, the Democratic runoff to take on John Cornyn. Texas looks like it's a it's a state that's, you know, getting bluer. It's getting purpler, maybe. Maybe it's not getting bluer yet. But, uh, you know, Cornyn still has a, a race to watch there. And if Biden, you know, some polls have shown Biden doing pretty well against Trump. And uh, uh, and, and so that's why Cornyn's definitely going to be taking that race seriously. Um, and then what are the top House races to watch? One of the races I'm looking at in the House, Kyle, is um, the three-way Republican primary in Maine's second congressional district, that is mostly rural Maine, uh, Lewiston, Bangor, but has mostly uh, rural Maine uh, comprising the bulk of it. Uh, The winner of that three-person Republican primary will go up against first-term Democrat Jared Golden. Uh, He won a uh, a very close race in 2018 under Maine's very unusual uh, system of, of voting called ranked choice voting, where basically voters in races with three or more candidates rank their candidates in order of preference. And then if no candidate has a majority, then the system kind of takes those ranked choice votes and redistributes them among the other candidates, among the top running candidates, until you get a majority vote winner. It almost simulates an instant runoff election there. And you have three Republicans running uh, against Jared Golden in a district that um, voted for Trump in, uh, in 2016 and very well could be highly competitive again this November. Yeah, and uh, you know, a reporter at BGov, uh, Samantha Handler, wrote about this and how the fact that you know Trump's going to be going for an electoral vote there. Susan Collins needs this district. She needs to um, get turnout way up in that district um, to have any chance uh, of winning re-election. Um, and then with the ranked choice voting, in 2018 was the first time it had ever been used in a congressional election. All those three things combined makes... Uh, handicapping this race, specifically this House race, uh, really hard. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. And it, a lot of it depends on how Trump's doing, what, what kind of popularity um, he still has in that district. Um, and then in Texas, there's several House races we're watching. I mean, a ton of races went to runoffs uh, from the primaries a few months ago. Uh, what, what's standing out to you? I know there's some big names. Some really big names here. I think first with the competitive general election districts, there are three districts where Republicans are not seeking re-election, where Democrats have a decent shot at takeover at uh, one, two, or three of them. Uh, they're Texas's 22nd district in Metro Houston. Pete Olson is retiring there. You have a, a Republican runoff there between the sheriff of Fort Bend County, which is the dominant county there. His name is Troy Nels, uh, against Kathleen Wall, who spent more than $8 million of her own money uh, trying to win this uh, Republican nomination. She ran for Congress in a different district, a different district in Texas in 2018 and failed. Texas's 23rd district, this is a border district that runs from San Antonio all the way west to El Paso. You've got a Republican runoff there that has basically divided um, President Trump's choice, uh, Tony Gonzalez, uh, and the choice of Ted Cruz, uh, Raul Reyes, 
Um, both of them are trying to go up against Gina Ortiz Jones, a military veteran who almost won the seat in 2018 against Republican Will Hurd, who is not seeking re-election. And then in the 24th district, you have Candace Valenzuela against Kim Olson, both Democrats. Kim Olson is not related to Pete Olson, the Republican in the 22nd district. And the winner of that Democratic runoff will face Beth Van Dyne, the former Republican mayor of Irving, Texas, uh, for the seat that Republican Kenny Marchant is leaving open to retire. So, Kyle, those are three highly competitive districts in November uh, that I'm watching pretty closely. And, of course, we have uh, some other districts worth watching where the winner of the runoff will be strongly favored to win in November. Yeah, speaking of no relation, former Congressman Pete Sessions uh, is running in Texas, Texas's 17th district, uh, not the district he used to represent before losing in 2018. Um, and Trump's White House physician, Ronnie Jackson, running in Texas's 13th district, um, both of those expected uh, to stay Republican, um, no matter no matter who wins on Tuesday. Um, and then there's a couple districts in Alabama like that. Who the, the winner of the runoff um, is expected to be the next member of Congress. Yeah, that's right. You have two in Alabama. You have the first district. That's Mobile, Southern Alabama. This is the district that Republican Bradley Byrne is leaving open to. Uh, he's retiring after losing uh, a Senate Republican primary, uh, that, that race with uh, Tuberville and Sessions. So he's not defending that seat. And the winner of that Republican runoff, Jerry Carl or Bill Hightower, uh, will be a shoe-in to win in November. And then in the 2nd District of Alabama, Martha Roby, a Republican, is retiring and the winner of the Republican runoff between Jeff Coleman, who's a wealthy businessman, and Barry Moore, a former state representative. Uh, either one of them would be strongly favored to succeed Roby in November. All right, ton of action on Tuesday. We will be watching it closely, uh, and we'll leave it there. Up next, we are heading to Alabama. You can't fake it. You're either strong or you're not. And Jeff Sessions, he's not. He wasn't man enough to stand with President Trump when things got tough, and now he's telling lies about me to cover it all up. It's time for these weak politicians to go. I'm very proud to be endorsed by President Trump. I'm running to help him drain the swamp and build the wall. I'm Tommy Tuberville, and I approve this message because I won't back down. That was an ad from Tommy Tuberville, who is standing in a gym as guys lift weights behind him to illustrate the ad's message. Tuberville is strong. Sessions is weak. Sessions, by the way, is not a tall man. Greg, what stood out to you? Yeah, it's that imagery that you mentioned, Kyle. He's speaking and gesticulating in a way that's meant to convey toughness. Uh, he has a biting comment at Sessions saying he wasn't, quote, man enough to stand with the president. And that's a reference to Sessions recusing himself in the investigation into Russian meddling of the 2016 presidential election. And that's what antagonized Trump and led the president to endorse Tuberville. Okay, and now let's take a listen to Sessions' response ad. I'm Tommy Tuberville, and I'll interrupt this Washington-funded Tuberville ad for breaking news. Alabama does not take orders from Washington. Fact, Tuberville's Washington's choice, but he's quit or been fired from every job he's ever had. Fact, Tuberville refused to vote for Governor Ivey, never backed a Republican other than himself. Fact, Washington fears Jeff Sessions. Sessions has the courage to stand up to the mob. Don't bow to Washington. Stand up for Alabama and Sessions. Greg, it seems like Sessions' candidacy is riding on voters believing he is the outsider and Trump's endorsement makes Tuberville the establishment pick. The problem is Trump's appeal is that he's the ultimate anti-establishment non-politician, right? Yeah, that's what struck me about the Sessions ad is that it links Tuberville to Washington, which is normally what 
non-incumbents do to incumbents. Sessions is technically not an incumbent, but he's not far removed from 20 years as a senator, and he's far more conversant with the ways of Washington than Tuberville, who's a first-time candidate. And Tuberville's only real connection to Washington is to the occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But a Donald Trump endorsement is the one you want in an Alabama Republican primary, which is one of the most pro-Trump audiences in the nation. Um, the other thing that struck me about the ad, Kyle, was that a session said that, or the Sessions ad said that Tuberville has been has quit or been fired from every job he's ever had. Now, a lot of people quit or get fired, especially in the sports coaching business. And uh, Sessions did quit the Senate to become Attorney General, and he either quit or was fired from that job because of his uh, falling out with the president. That's a good point. How else do you leave a job? All right. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But let's first review last week's question and answer. And I asked, which state has the highest population share of black Americans at more than 37% of the state population? On a Bloomberg government Twitter poll, I gave you the choices of Georgia, Louisiana, Maryland, and Mississippi. Kyle, did you get the correct answer? I'm going Louisiana. Okay, it's a very good answer, but the correct answer is actually Mississippi, which is more than 37% black, followed by Louisiana and Georgia at about 32%, and Maryland at 30%. That was a tough question, though. And now for this week's question. Maine Republican U.S. Senator Susan Collins is seeking a fifth six-year term in the Senate, as we noted earlier on the program. My question is, who is the longest-serving woman in the history of the Senate? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We will reveal the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. All right, that's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Well, in addition to those runoffs in Alabama and Texas and the primary in Maine on Tuesday, I'm also watching the ongoing ballot counting in New York primaries that were held way back on June the 23rd. Representatives Elliot Engel and Carolyn Maloney may finally learn their fates this week. And finally, Wednesday is the deadline to file campaign finance reports for this year's second quarter, the months of April, May, and June, and we'll learn how candidates performed in political fundraising during the pandemic. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigsted and at Greg Giroux, and be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg government's website, about.bgov.com. Talk to you soon. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. I'm Siri Belusu, and I'm Amanda Icone. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from what Congress is working on to legal rulings to the global digital tax debate. Download and subscribe. To Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts.